0: I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn if in it, if you will, to the book of Psalms, Psalm number 25. You'll turn to Psalm 25. We're going to depart from our study in Jeremiah. I know we are very near to being finished, but we are going to um, depart from it this today in preparation for celebrating our Day of Thanks, and so we're going to go to Psalm 25, if I can find it. There's the book of Psalms, I don't know why I couldn't locate that. And We'll we'll read the entirety of this chapter. God's Word declares, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man? That fears the Lord. Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look at my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. Well, I think as most of you know, this um, season is certainly... My favorite through the year, out of the holidays that we set aside, um, it is probably not the most significant. Um, Certainly that would be the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord that uh, pales everything else, including his birth. But his birth was necessary for that other one to happen. but in relationship to those um, is an opportunity to take time aside as a people and hopefully reflect an attitude that is persistent throughout the year, but as a people to take time aside to come to God and tell him thank you. Something we ought to be doing daily in our lives, correct? Correct. But yet, as a nation, as an entire people, the wisdom of one president to say we need to have a season in our nation where we take off of everything else, set it aside, humble ourselves before God, and thank him for all of his blessings, that the benefits that we enjoy in this nation are not derived from ourselves, from our forefathers, from the principle of government that we follow, um, or from any other trappings of man that who take credit for it. But what Abraham Lincoln wanted us to recognize is that all of these benefits are from the hand of a good, gracious, and merciful God. And wants us as a people to do that. And we have wandered very far from that purpose um, because we don't like soberness. We don't like solemn occasions to take time to get serious. And so we replace a very serious holiday with very uh, non-serious things. And uh, let there be no doubt that what was intended was a, a very somber uh, recognition and recollection of the goodness of God. And is that what we are going to study today? Um, I have done in the past for Thanksgiving word studies, and we're going to do the same thing this time. It would be very easy for me, I think, to go back and just do one of the other ones. Um, but you know me better than that as well. And uh, we have looked at, it is very simple, just simply go through the, word, the Bible and look up thankfulness, thanksgiving. Uh, and things like that. And we are going to be referencing some of those verses um, of praise and adoration of exaltation. Um, but today we're going to look at one facet of of uh, God and why He demands and is deserving of our praise. And this is not to elevate one attribute higher than the others, um, for certainly every attribute of God demands our praise. His holiness demands it. um, His love demands it. um, Every attribute in between and around and amongst and beyond demands our praise and is worthy of our study. This morning, though, we want to take some time to focus on one, and we have read of it already in Psalm 25. But before we get to that passage, I really want to help us grasp the seriousness of being a thankful people. There are, and we're going to do that by looking at two passages that tell us about the reverse, the opposite of being thankfulness, be unthankful. When we look at the condition of man without God, in opposition to God, um, there are two places in the New Testament that I want to draw your attention to to understand the seriousness of falling into a condition of being unthankful. The first is in Romans chapter 1. And interestingly, we're going to get back to Romans later on to talk about the attribute that I want to talk about this morning, which is in Romans 2 there. Um, one and two, and and we're going to look at that. But I want to uh, just remind you that when men rejected God, it describes just two facets. And let's look at that very quickly so we can understand why is it so important that I be a thankful person. In fact, as I shared, it is crucial to your relationship with God, and it is absolutely necessary. And so we come to chapter 1 of Romans, verse 21. And let's, well, we should back up to verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So the truth is there. They just don't want to talk about it. They want to press it down. They want to oppose it. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that's creation, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Where did man go wrong? Ultimately, men go wrong in disavowing God, in failing to recognize that everything they enjoy, including their life itself, comes from God, and it says that they weren't thankful. Not only are they unwilling to recognize its origin, they aren't even appreciative of it. And this is the hallmark, the Bible tells This is the hallmark of being under the wrath of God. So when you think it's a small thing to be an unthankful person, I want you to consider this verse. He didn't list a lot of other evil things that he could have listed. But what puts you on the road to the wrath of God, what keeps you on the road, what brings you to the point of rejecting all that God does for us is ultimately an unwillingness to glorify him and very quickly glorifying God demands us to be thankful for him. And so do not think that a lack of thanksgiving in the heart is a small thing. The Bible here lists it as a primary issue in your relationship with God. Either you are a thankful person, which requires, as we're going to see, humbleness, it's going to require us to acknowledge him, it's going to require us to be attentive to him, um, but it also is that which keeps us in line with his truth. And we're going to talk about the necessity of being a thankful person to experiencing and to knowing God. And here we find that these people knew God. They knew things about him, but they did not accept him. Why? Because they weren't thankful. And so, yes, thankfulness is a crucial element of our worship, of our walk with God, and of our relationship with God. You fall into the pit of discontentment, saying, I don't have enough. God isn't good enough to me. You are falling into a pit of destruction, and your relationship with God will be broken. And this is referring to the world. You say, well, that's not us. We're here at church, Pastor. That's the world that wants to deny God. They're out there worshiping idols of of critters and creeping things, and even themselves, worshiping man himself, um, and God's going to turn them over to a reprobate mind. That is, that they're just going to keep going into more and more evil. But that's not us, Pastor. But I want to share with you that not only is it a crucial element of coming to salvation, and therefore when we see it in the world, we say, oh boy, there is so much trouble when they're unthankful. But it's also a matter of, for the church. Turn with me to 2 Timothy very quickly, Second Timothy. Paul takes some time to let his young protege Timothy, who's not really that young <laughs> but at this point, um, he's, he's had Timothy involved in ministry for many years at this point, but uh, he, he takes Timothy and writes him this second letter. And in Second Timothy chapter 2, or chapter 3, sorry, verse 1, He says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And then he lists five things, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. And leading the unlist is unthankful. Now he's writing to this not about the world but about the church. That within the church, this is when you see these things penetrating the church, you know that you are in perilous times, you are in the last days. When the church is not only allowing, but even fostering and even teaching sometimes men to love themselves, to love money, to be boasters, to be proud. To even blaspheme. And yes, there's a lot of blaspheme going on in churches these days. And being disobedient to parents and then unthankful. It's right in there, tucked in there, that this is what Timothy's looked for. And so when we begin to say, well, how important is it that I be a thankful person? Well, it's critical to having a relationship with God, to coming to Christ. And in fact, without thankfulness, you will find yourself drifting farther and farther and farther into the wrath of God instead of the love of God. But it is also critical to maintaining your relationship with God. Because as soon as you start harboring unthankfulness in your heart, you have turned away from knowing and living a life of service to God. If you think that there is something he's holding out from you, you are preparing yourself for a life of misery, even as you claim Christ as your own, yet you have something against him because you think you deserve more. Rather than being a person rejoicing and grateful for all that Christ has already done for us, we just look for more and think we deserve it. And it creates unthankfulness. And so, yes, the topic of thankfulness needs to be addressed probably more often than once a year. But for sure, I'm going to make, we're going to address it once a year. Before we do so this morning, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word before us and your spirit within us. We pray now that you might have liberty to work, to convict us where that is required. To strengthen us where we are weak to encourage us where we are downhearted. And Lord, we pray that uh, we might be attentive to your work, responsive to it, that we might not just listen and let it come in our ears and out of our minds, but that we might allow it to penetrate our hearts, to understand its power, to transform our lives, that we might be new creatures and have old things pass away and everything become new again and again. Lord, give us that spirit looking for your work in us and amongst us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's my introduction. To make sure you know why we are supposed to be thankful, I invite you back to Psalm Chapter 25, and as I said, I want to focus in on one attribute of God in his work towards us, that we might recognize the necessity of thankfulness, and and also as we look at God, we're going to see some things about ourselves that need to be there. What prevents us from being a thankful people, from being filled with gratitude and appreciation And by the way, if you are having struggle being thankful with God, I guarantee you in your life, you are having struggles being thankful laterally to other people in your life. Because if you don't appreciate what God has done for you, I'm pretty sure you don't appreciate what other people are doing for you. Because they're doing a lot less for you than God has. If you can't appreciate the greater, there's no way you will appreciate the lesser. And so this not only applies to your relationship vertically, with the divine, but also horizontally with your peers. And so let's look at it here in Psalm 25. And uh, it's not always going to just tell us the way you might say, Pastor, you read this whole thing. I didn't see the word thankful or gratitude or any of that here um, because the psalmist prefers to use the word praise, rejoice, adore, and things like that. But even here, you might say, well, I don't see those either here. But we do find him remembering the work of God on his behalf. And throughout this passage, he is interested in one thing. I want to know the right, truthful way to go. I want to know the way of life. I want to know what you demand of me. And in doing so, I want your deliverance, certainly. But I want to know what the path is that God has before me. And again, I believe that it is understanding an attribute of God that's going to direct him in that. So the request is in verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. And so there's our psalmist waiting. David saying, I want to know what God wants. I want to walk in that. And I want to... uh, Please him. I want to praise him with my life. And so I'm going to wait on God, even if it takes all day. And that's not just that I'm going to wait all day, but I'm going to serve you all my days. I'm going to wait on you. That is, I'm going to minister before you as you show me your ways. And so I'm willing to recognize I have to come to you and ask you this question. Show me, teach me, um, and lead me. Very powerful statements. Show me, teach me, lead me. Great progression there, isn't it? Now I'm going to show you so you can see what God wants. Now I'm going to teach you so you can hear, so you'll see it, you'll hear it, and now I'm going to lead you. I'm going to take you right there. A great progression that our psalmist shares with us. Um, and David does this very well through many of the psalms. He gives us this progression. Uh, sometimes it's downhill. You know, don't walk, don't sit, don't, you know, don't, I'm sorry, don't walk with the ungodly, don't sit in the seat of, I still misstand. Don't walk, don't stand, don't sit. Um, and so uh, we find sometimes that progression is regression, downward, but always this progress. And here we find, show it to me, teach it to me, and now lead me in doing it. And he recognizes that this is the work of God, and that he is dependent upon God for all of this. And we want to skip down a little bit to verse 6. And he re- wants to remind the Lord of something, but in so doing, he's really reminding himself, reminding us. It says, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he in fact does teach sinners his way. And he does guide in justice. And he does teach his way. But I want you to notice what it requires of us as that that we humble ourselves before him. And so there's an attribute of God and there's an expected attitude of man that is necessary for us to know God's ways to see them happen, give us examples, let us see it, teach it to us so we understand it, and then lead me so that I am walking the way you intend me to walk. And God says, I'm willing to do this. Out of what attribute of God does he do this? Well, we read of his tender mercies, his loving kindness. Uh, We see his mercy not to remember our sin, um, but those are all referencing his past. Don't remember the sins of my youth. Forgive my sins. And that's one facet certainly of God that we should be very thankful for, for his mercy. But it's not the one I've selected today. It's his goodness. Good is the Lord. Yes, he's upright also, and there's another facet of God that we should be very thankful for, his uprightness, his justice, his fairness. Um, but here we find that he is goodness, and the Lord is good enough. How good is he? Well, he's good enough to take sinners and teach them the truth. Isn't that what it says? He teaches sinners in the way. He'll guide the humble in justice, and in the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies for his name's sake. So we find the goodness of God. Demands that we be a thankful and grateful people. And now where does that gratitude thrive? It thrives in the sanctuary of humility in your heart see, if you believe you deserve, you will never be thankful. I deserve this. All the complaints about millennials, and I've got a few of them right here. They're all in the front row. Are you still a millennial? You're, an, yeah. No. You're too old, aren't you? I know your husband is. He's like ancient. He's a millennial. You are now? She's older than his? I think you're both millennials, so we're just going to lump you in. You guys are millennials. Okay, so you're not all in the front row. Half the congregation are millennials. All right, what's the big complaint about millennials? They're entitled. They believe they're entitled. And that makes them the most unthankful generation maybe in history. Because if that is genuinely your attitude, that you deserve this and more, you will never be thankful for what you have. I deserve this because I am. I exist. And there is no basis of I work to earn this. There's not even that level of... And and that we we have coddled as a righteous sort of self-pride Uh, But the Bible doesn't describe it that way. But uh, we've coddled that and allowed that. But now we've gone so far that you only have to work to earn it. You just deserve it because you exist. Our understanding and our communication of self-love has gotten so extensive that just by I exist, therefore I am entitled to this. I deserve it. And nowhere in that attitude will there ever be a spirit of thanksgiving. It cannot thrive there. It is poison to a thankful heart. And so, the Bible says, what is it? Who is it that God responds to? Where's the goodness of God? Well, the goodness of God is not to the proud, is not to the boaster, is not to the disobedient. The goodness of God extends to the sinner. The one who knows He's a sinner, the one who is humble and knows, I don't deserve any of this. And therefore the least that you give me is wondrous. And I can't stop thanking you. I've been watching a series of videos out of India. Um, I came across them on YouTube, and I'll, some of my YouTube links are really strange. And if you ever looked up on my computer, YouTube, you're going to get all a uh, huge gamut of weird stuff, um, because I study weird stuff. As I was reminded of that by a couple of our men. The things you study, Pastor, you're going you're, you're gonna, to... Um, when you study the end times, you get a lot of weird stuff. Okay, we'll just put it like that. But I f- came across this YouTube channel. And I started watching. It's in India, and it's actor Varun, and he goes around, and, and he's a humanist all the way, and he's trying to promote just, just can you just be human towards people? Can you just treat them with a little bit of respect? And of course, in India, they have the caste system, and, and so the rich feel that they have the right; they are entitled to maltreat anyone else because they are the high caste. And so he's going through, and in a series of these videos that are just Make you cry. Um, I never cried, but mo- most people in the comment section said they cried, so I don't know. I'm, I'm a hardened person, I guess. Um, but uh, here they are, and they're hawkers. They're, they're not really hawkers, they're just selling normal things on the streets. And this is what the poor do. And he's trying to say these people are out here, they aren't begging, they are trying to earn a living by bringing things to sell and he wants to honor that. And so he goes up, and his thing is he likes to drive around and buy everything they have. So if he comes across an orphan selling pencils, he says, how much for a pencil? And they'll tell him, he says, how much for all the pencils? And they start counting how many pencils they have, so they can tell them exactly the number. Apparently, six-year-olds in in, uh, India can multiply. It's amazing. You know, they count how many pencils, they go like this, and they say 100 rupees. Um, uh, and he gives them 700 rupees. He says, here, and he takes all the pencils. Now, before you think he gave them 700 rupees, that's like $2, okay? And you look at the face of these people. They just got two bucks, but it was more than they've gotten all week. And you find gratitude. Why? Because they recognize that this is an unusually generous gift that they aren't deserving of. And true humility, not what the politicians I'm humbled that you elected me. Um, I'm humbled I got this prize from the, my Emmy or whatever. But true humility, it says, I am completely undeserving, shows And they respond. And you know what they respond by? What can I do for you? Thank you so much. And they call him uncle. And and, uh, and with just a little bit, he brings forth this spirit of thankfulness out of people that is built upon the humble place they are in society and built upon the recognition that they are completely dependent and that this is a great blessing their life. Some of those people he follows home, and he finds out that the one blind person he followed home, and and, uh, all the way along he was handing out rupees to his other blind friends. He didn't keep them all for himself. Because that's the spirit of humbleness. That God says, I want that in you. And then I will teach you. Then I will lead you. Then I will show you. And you will find my path. You'll find that truth. I will make sure you have it. But you're going to have to humble yourself. And that is not something you are hearing in our society today almost anywhere. We listen to the media and we listen to the social media on the internet. And it is all about self-aggrandizement from our politicians all the way down through. And even our quote-unquote beggars, they really aren't here compared to other countries, um, are proud. We find that God says, I'm not going to lead you into truth. That's the attitude and the spirit of unthankfulness and that will bring you into my wrath, but not into my goodness. And so, God is good. He is, but he is just waiting for a proper environment for him to do his goodness. Unless you think he is withholding good from you, I want to do a little survey of the Bible about the goodness of God. In Romans 1, it says that they knew God historically, way back but they were unthankful. So let's go way back. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to creation. God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And day after day, he said, this is good. This is good. This is good. And many of you don't know maybe what he's really saying there. He's not just saying that this is this is a moral goodness. That's not really what he's saying. He's not really saying, oh, I'm really proud of myself. Um, I've done a good thing. That's not what it really means either. The Hebrew word for good there means that this is going to suit man well. This is going to be good for inhabiting by man. That as he went through and separated the darkness from the light, and as he Gave us the sun, moon, and the stars as he separated the land from the water and as he filled the land with vegetation and then with animals. It was all good. That means it was all going to benefit you. This will be good for them. From the very onset, God had in his mind while he was creating mankind He was creating the world for man, for your benefit. That this will be good for man. This will be good for man. This will be good. This will be good for you to have a daytime to work and nighttime to rest. It will be good for you to have land as well as water. It will be good for you to have vegetables. It will be good for you to have an animal life. It's all going to be good. And what does the serpent convince Eve of? Here's what the serpent convince Eve of. God isn't good to you. He's holding out. There's something you deserve that he hasn't given you. The knowledge of good and evil. And this is Satan's work from the beginning. To convince you That even though for all the created passage, the whole narrative of God's creative work, we keep coming back to this word, this is good for us. This is good for us. God is good. God is good. God is good. Over and over again, only thinking of how will this help them? This will really help them. They're going to really enjoy this. This is going to be something they're going to love, sleeping out under the stars at night. Instead of just looking out there and seeing black, they're going to see the stars and the moon. They're going to see all that. Remember, they could sleep outside because there was no winter and uh, cold. And Satan convinces Eve, who is participating in all this goodness, that God isn't good. He generates discontentment. This is the work of Satan. And we are complicit with him. This is the work of Satan, to generate discontentment and to then say, well, God isn't good. And God has done nothing but good. And that is the essence of unthankfulness. As we go through, we find... God's goodness and God's provision. And we think, well, if God would supply for me like he did, say, for Israel, um, then I would certainly follow him. Oh, such a thankful heart. But I would challenge you on that as well. Because Israel enjoyed the goodness of God, of the, his protection during the plagues on Egypt. They walked across the Sea, Red Sea and dry ground. They were consuming manna. Every day they didn't even have to work except for go out and gather it every morning. And there was enough for every day's food. And on the sixth day, there, or seventh, fifth day, there was enough for the, them to rest the next day. And they complained. Because they were unthankful. Instead of being thankful for the food and provision that God had, they, you know, we haven't had meat for a long time. Their diet hadn't varied and they were starting to get tired of it. find it interesting when people don't want to eat leftovers for three or four days in a row because they get tired of it just after three or four days, Um, I'd love to send them to Haiti and let them live in an orphanage and eat rice every day, every day of your life, without variation. But you see, out of bounty, what should burst forth as thanksgiving and gratitude. Instead, for some reason, because of our sin nature, brings forth an entitlement, an arrogance, that we deserve more, and it produces an unthankful spirit in us that says, I'm not getting enough. And even when God feeds you directly from heaven, it wasn't enough. And God sends a whole cloud of quail into their midst, And they sin in the process because they don't want to wait to cook it. You see, the goodness of God, no matter how good he is, does not equate to men being thankful. And that's why in Romans 1, you knew God. You saw him work. He has provided abundantly for you. But what makes you a rejecter of God is a spirit of unthankfulness. Instead of going, and, and that that's your pride. That's your arrogance. That you're somehow entitled to more, to better, to new and improved. It's humorous if it weren't so sad, to watch this generation get upset at their computers for taking too long for their printer to go too slow. And I just look at it and say, you know, my wife hand-typed every one of my college papers. And if she made a mistake, she had to use this little stuff that was called correction tape. You had to stick in there, go back, and hit that one button again and make it disappear, then go back and hit that thing again. And uh, the hours she spent typing my papers in college and then in seminary. I think even before we were married, she was typing my papers a little bit. You find a girl like that, you marry her. That's all there is to it. Um, and then I go back and look at the people who copied the Bible by hand and spent years to make sure we had a faithful copy of Scripture. And he was like, what are we complaining about? We are complaining about seconds. When men have given their entire lives to producing one copy of Scripture. You see, the extent of the goodness of God does not equal greater thankfulness. It is not dependent upon God being, if he were just more good to me gooder there we go if he were better to me yeah i know it's bad english but it fits my goodness of god um if he were better to me i would be more thankful no you would not if you are not thankful today for all of his goodness there is no more display of his goodness that could cause you to be thankful If your children aren't thankful for the gifts you've given them, there are no additional gifts you can further give them that would create a spirit of thanksgiving in their heart. Think about that on Black Friday a little bit. If they are not thankful for what they have, there's nothing you can buy that will produce it in them. Because it requires something. It requires a contentment, a humility to recognize, I don't deserve what I have. And until we come before God and humble ourselves and recognize he has already done so much good for us, we will never be a thankful people. Saying, well, if he would just do one more thing. And yes, I long for heaven as much as anyone. I long for the Lord's return and, but you know what? He doesn't have to come back for me to be thankful for him, for what he's already done. Would I be more thankful? Yes, it's easier to be more thankful, but it's very hard to go from being unthankful to thankful. It requires something. It requires rebuke, correction, judgment. It requires you to be slapped around a little bit. And this is what God does. You're not thankful for that? I'll take it away. Any good parent knows to do that. If a child isn't thankful for something, you take it away from them. If you're not thankful for your ice cream, I'll eat it. Period. And I do. I have. I will. (laughs) So if you come tonight and you're not thankful for that dessert, I will eat it. Instead of you. Let's press on a little bit farther in our history books. Um, Israel in the land. Oh my goodness. They were land flowing with milk and honey. They were living in paneled houses. And the prophets came and said, How could you have maltreated God that way when he's done so much good for you? He has given you this land. He has flowed milk flowing with milk and honey. He has given you these paneled houses. He has given you rest from your enemies. How can you be like this and turn to idols? And it has to have begun with an unthankfulness, for that's exactly what Romans 1 tells us. They forgot the goodness of God, and they thought they were entitled to it, and they became unthankful, unholy people. And God judged them, humbled them, so that they would be drug off by another nation naked, that it required him to humble them because they would not humble themselves and recognize how good he has been to them, and they lost his goodness. But the goodness of God extends into the New Testament as well. And in Romans, it tells us the goodness of God does something for us. It leads us to repentance. And this ties us back to Psalm 25. The goodness of God leads the sinner in his way. The God's way. I want to lead you to know the way of God. Well, that's God's goodness. And the goodness of God, it says, brings repentance. In it. And what is it that brings repentance? Well, it is godly sorrow. And so we have this requirement that the very confrontation <laughs> of you and your sin is the outworking of the goodness of God. And so... Um, We find that uh, while men accuse God, we find instead that God is doing good to them by leading them to repentance. For godly sorrow brings repentance, and that is the goodness of God. He doesn't want to leave you in your condition. Let's read Romans 2. I want you to notice the, the relationship between his truth, your condition, and his goodness. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same that you will escape the judgment of god or you, do you despise the riches of his goodness forbearance and long suffering not knowing that the goodness of god leads you to repentance but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and to the Greek, there is no partiality with God. Wow. The goodness of God brings me to repentance. And the Bible says the godly sorrow leads to repentance. So the goodness of God is to make you sorry for your sin. So when we go back to Psalm 25, and say, well, the goodness of God takes a sinner and shows him the way, teaches him the way of God. But he's also teaching him your way is going to work. And he wants you to break down and humble yourself in sorrow, realizing I have been a fool. I have been so unthankful. I have been so opposed to God all this time, exalting myself, thinking I can decide what is true and what is not true. There's a millennial philosophy of life, right? I decide truth. There is no absolute. God said, no, there is absolute truth, and you're going to be judged by it, so you better get to know it. Um, denial will not get you anywhere. You can deny reality as long as you please, but it doesn't make reality go away. Same thing with truth. And so the goodness of God exposes you to his truth with one concept, and that is that you would Repent. And so if you are unthankful today, unholy, if that reflects your spirit, your pride that you're not going to humble yourself to anybody, let alone God, um, that you can't see and isn't pulling a weapon over you, um, I want to share with you, God is good to you and he wants to bring you to repentance. You can change, but you have to do it his way because he is the holder of truth. And rightly, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's the way. It's not your way. You can't improve the way. You're not embellishing the way. The way to God is his way. And you don't deserve to walk on it. You don't deserve to know it exists. But God's goodness is there to lead you to it. Is it easy? No. It's going to require you to cry. To be broken. To recognize, I have been on the wrong side of everything to this point. Even when I try to do good things, they're really just for my own pride. God says, humble yourself, and I'll show you my ways. You want to know the truth? you're going to have to get on your knees and be broken in your spirit and say, no more doing it my way. I want to repent. I want to turn away from the direction I'm going and go his way. This is the goodness of God to lead us to repentance. And his goodness doesn't end there. That's just the beginning. Because remember the psalmist didn't want to just see it, didn't want to just be taught it. He wanted to be led in God's righteousness led in his way and God says once you will humble yourself not only will I teach you and instruct you and forgive you your sins all of that but I'm also going to continue to be good to you and the psalmist describes that that oh if you would simply uh, bend your will to God's will he will meet all of your needs and much more because there is no limit to his goodness there is none. He has no limitation. And so the psalmist goes through in Psalm 25 and, and begins to describe the extent of what God's goodness can be for those who fear the Lord. You're going to dwell in prosperity, he says. Your descendants shall inherit the earth. You're going to have lots of kids. The secret of the Lord is with him who fear him. With those who fear him, he'll show them his covenant. Here he's going to deliver you out of the net. All these things, he says, the goodness of God doesn't end when you humble yourself. It begins. The first personal acknowledgement of the goodness of God, the first act of thankfulness is when we receive Christ Jesus as our Savior. He say, he died for me. And I trust in that. I want to, in a thankfulness that he forgave my sins and died for me, buried for me, rose again for me, out of a thankful spirit, I am going to serve him. Because that's how you express thanksgiving. Not just by once a year saying, thank you, God. We sung a few hymns about thankfulness. Um, That's all well and good. But really, ultimate thankfulness is not something we say. It's something we do. A thankful life is an evident one. It is one that will serve. It will serve God, and it will serve his fellow man. It's recognizing, I don't deserve anything but death, because I'm a sinner. But God, in his goodness, and for his goodness' sake, has taught me his truth. and He's willing to guide me if I'll simply allow him to guide me. He is willing to bless me if I will simply honor him, fear him. Yes, there's pardon for iniquity, there's there's forgiveness of sin, but there's so much more the goodness of God has in store for the one who follows him. But you have to follow him. You're not entitled just because you're here. You have to follow him. And so we look at the goodness of God and we have to conclude... If I'm not thankful, there's nothing more God can do. He's done it all. From creation to the offer of recreation, He's done it all. Uh, the spirit of thanksgiving is a, one of your choice, not of your environment. I have met some incredibly thankful people in some of the most horrific environments that I really can't even imagine living in. I didn't, in, I didn't really like being there for a day or for a week but they live there every day but they are thankful people and it shows I didn't hear complaints I heard a lot of praise the Lord praise the Lord praise the Lord why? because I was there Oh, well, we're just praising the Lord you're here You would think they'd have the most to complain about because they have the least of this earth around them. But you see, thankfulness is not dependent upon your environment. It is a choice of the heart. And So I'm challenging you today to be a thankful people, not just this week, but every day and every moment, to rehearse the goodness of God and what he has done to humble yourself before that he might work in your life. First salvation, and then his manifold blessings from then on. Let's pray. Lord God, would we thank you for your goodness. We know we're not deserving of it. And yet you have splurged on us so heavily. And Lord, we want to guard our hearts from being spoiled children who just think we deserve more. It is very obvious that we don't deserve any of your goodness. And yet you have expended it on levels that we can't even really appreciate. And so Lord, forgive us for those days of complaint, those days of bitterness, of unthankfulness, those days where we thought we were entitled to not only what we have, but even more. Lord, forgive us, for you have not shorted us, and we recognize that today. Your goodness abounds. and So, Lord, help us to not just declare our praise and our thanksgiving, but, Lord, help us to show it. If I walk in the way of truth that you have revealed in your word, if I do it with a spirit of joy, if I obey your commands, because there is no burdensomeness in it, We cannot wait to follow you, for you have given us so much. Lord, give us that spirit each day to arise and declare this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice, be glad in it. I will serve you each day. For you have done wondrous things for us. Lord, thank you for your goodness. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.